serve an awesome God. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. All right. I want you to turn to somebody that isn't your mom and say happy Mother's Day. Yeah. I am, of course, assuming that you've already said that to your mother. And if you haven't, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> but nonetheless, um, glad that you're glad that you're with us today. Um, I uh, ran across a couple of news articles this week that I thought was uh, kind of interesting. Uh, are y'all, y'all are familiar with HOV lanes, right? I'm not trying to say anything, but I'm just asking. HOV lanes, like they have them in Charlotte. I think this would be a great idea for Moxville. Now, 158, if they could put one like right in the middle there, and you know, I think that would be awesome because people just drive too slow. I'm trying to get somewhere, so it'd be great to have that. But nonetheless, here's a, here's a uh, new article I saw this week. <clears throat> Maryland State Police, no, mannequins do not count as passengers in HOV lanes. That's funny. Yeah, that's great. Um, the other one is really the reason uh, I really wanted to show these today. This just absolutely cracked me up, and I found this one on Wednesday, and it says this. Police fines reported COVID-19 violation in restaurant was not only a human, but by a mannequin. <laughs> so I looked at this article, and I wish I had, had gotten the pictures, because after this, I couldn't find this article anymore. But there are pictures, and what this restaurant did was, you know how, how you can sit at this table, but then you have to skip this table, and there's a little sign, and then there's a, a table over here that you can sit at. You know how they're doing all that? Well, in this restaurant, they don't put the signs there. They have mannequins sitting there. And so there's a place setting, and like a woman sipping on tea, she has the cup permanently there looking at some paper, and she has, like, fake food on it. It is absolutely, the, the pictures are hilarious. I should have grabbed them when I had that article because they are absolutely, they're, they're something else. But nonetheless, yeah, somebody walked by the restaurant and thought, oh, they don't have their mask on. I'm going to report them because some people don't have anything better to do than that. Okay, great. Um, Leviticus 12. Now that we've had our awkward moment, <clears throat> Leviticus, Leviticus 12. That was really quiet in the room at that point. Some people, this means that most of the people in the room are calling, hey, this person, okay, anyway, okay. Leviticus 12, that's <clears throat> where we're at. And um, verse 1 says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, uh, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not come and touch anything holy, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are completed. But if she bears a female child, then she shall be unclean two weeks as in her menstruation, and she shall continue in the blood of her purifying for 66 days. Happy Mother's Day, <laughs> Leviticus 12. Yeah. Verse 6. 
And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering, and he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be cleansed from the flow of her blood. And this is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. And if she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two pigeons, one for a burnt offering, <clears throat> excuse me, and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So let me just answer the question that everybody in the room is asking. Yes, this is the shortest chapter in Leviticus. <laughs> that is not what you're asking. <laughs> that is called sarcasm. Yeah, and if you're visiting with us this morning, um, sometimes this happens, and sometimes it's funny, and sometimes it's not, and sometimes I don't know until I say it. <laughs> we need somebody else to run sound. <laughs> All right, great, great. So what in the world is going on here in Leviticus chapter 12, and what does this exactly mean? I mean, we understand the words. I mean, there's, there's nothing that we don't understand word-wise here, but what, what is God communicating to us, especially today? What is he communicating to us, and what does all of this mean? Well, the first thing I want to cover is um, <clears throat> muddy children. Anybody ever have muddy kids walk into their house? Anybody? Yeah. If you live in this area, you've had to have had muddy kids walk into your house. We live beside a gully in a subdivision. So it's our plot of property, and right beside us is a goalie. Now, a goalie is basically where all the water comes. Well, you know what a goalie is. I'm not going to explain this to you. Where am I at? Right. So there's a goalie, and there's trees, and when it rains, there's water. And so my kids loved, when they were little, to go and play in the goalie. In fact, um, there were several, like, uh, tree houses that had begun to be built in our goalie because that's just the type of kids that we had. Um, I remember one summer... <clears throat> Uh, we made a mountain bike trail through the gully. And so Aurora, Quinn, and I went out there and we dug and we did roots and stuff. And we had this nice little mountain bike trail through the gully area. And that was a lot of fun. Well, when we came inside and we met Nicole in the kitchen, Nicole said, take a shower and get that mud off of you before you have supper. Because, of course, we were unclean. So I bring up that story to say that just because the Bible says it's unclean doesn't mean it's a sin. It just might just be unclean. The Bible is very distinct in the difference. For instance, in Leviticus chapter 11, verse 8, this is one that is a sin, and it's worded this way. You shall not eat any of their flesh, and you shall not touch their carcasses. They are unclean to you. It's a command. Do not do this. If you touch it, <clears throat> they are unclean, and it's a sin to do so. So it's very, very clear. Childbirth is not a sin. That is not the reason that, you, that you're unclean. It's, it's nothing sinful about having a child. Nothing at all. In fact, the Bible would teach us that it is a blessing to have children, is what the Bible would teach. And so, for instance, in Genesis chapter 1, Verse 28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over all the fish and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So be fruitful and multiply. It is a command of God for us to reproduce ourselves. 
So it must be something good. God has never commanded you to sin. Never. Any command that he has is not a sin. And so he continues this in Genesis chapter 9, verse 7, when he says this, And you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply it. Now this is a command to Noah's sons and his daughter-in-laws. They had just got off the boat. So he's re-saying saying that you need to be fruitful, you need to multiply. It's not a sin. So unclean here is not, it's not a representation that having a child is a sin. So Psalm chapter 127 says this, Behold, children are a heritage. Now I want you to hold on to that. We're going to come back to heritage. From the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Now, let me qualify this. This is not when your mother told you that she hopes that you have children just like you, so that one day what you have done to her will be repaid. This is not that type of reward. It, it's, it's more positive than that, okay? It is a reward because what you have and what you're holding is a very, very special thing. It's honorable to have children. It is a command of God to have children. It is a blessing to have children. So what does this uncleanness actually mean? If it's not a sin, what exactly does it mean? What is it actually um, referencing? What is it referencing? Well, um, It's representing something, something very important. Kind of having a moment here. Yeah. The offering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, something. It's something. Good night. I don't know what just happened to my train of thought there, so let's just continue to go. It represents something very special, okay? So uh, let's look at chapter 12, verse 2. This is what it says. Speak to the people of Israel, saying, if a woman conceives and bears a male child. I want you to notice that word conceives. That word conceives is, is from the starting point of conception, like before the baby is born. When you get to that word bears, that does mean that she is having the child and bringing it into the world, you know, so that we can see it. But that word bears is also a word that is used of like um, the whole process of conception from beginning to end. Uh, in another place of scripture, for instance, it's used uh, where birds lay eggs in a nest and the whole process from the time that they lay the egg all the way to hatching. So it's the whole process of a woman bearing a child. This is another reason why the Bible, why we believe the Bible teaches that life begins at conception, begins at conception. And a woman bears a child from the very beginning, from the time it becomes one cell organism, all the way until we can hold it in our hands. It begins at conception. I don't care if you think, well, it's not fully developed. Uh, no, if you leave that thing alone, it's going to be developed. And it is a person. And everything that it is going to be is already in the DNA in that first cell. It's already there. It is already a person that is created in the womb, and it takes the whole time. So, so it's, it's relating back 
to um, conception and women carrying a child, which, by the way, I think is an amazing thing. I think it's absolutely an amazing thing. Um, and, and it's a gift from God. So if you go back to Genesis, you begin to unpack where this thing is coming from. So we have this conception thing, and we go all the way back to Genesis, and this is what it says. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing, and in pain you shall bring forth children. Why is a lady unclean when she has a child? Well, it goes back to the curse of God. It is not that you have done anything wrong, but it goes back to the time where Eve ate of the fruit and the man ate afterwards. And God says, you will be cursed in childbirth to remind you of the story where mankind fell into sin. That's interesting, isn't it? So when you have the child, you have that pain. Well, from our passage, it says conception and bears. And you and I both know, some of you by experience, and me just because I've seen it, that when a lady gets pregnant, she has pain from the get-go all the way till she has the child and even after. You are looking at me like I have three heads on. I know this is true. I know this is true, so ladies, don't leave me, leave me out here. Um, there's, there's morning sickness. I can list them for you. There's morning sickness, right? And then there's this middle time that something happens. Uh, kids start playing with organs on the inside. He's kicking my kidney. He's hurting my back. He's, you know, it's always he, and they don't even know the sex of the child. They always blame it on the male. I'm just kidding. That's just a joke. But nonetheless, she, she's kicking. And you go all the way through to, I want this thing out of my body because it hurts. I can't sleep at night. I need a special pillow. There, there is a, a pain that happens from the very beginning all the way through and even past it. This is proof, by the way, another proof, that what the Bible says is true, isn't it? It, it, that the Bible actually tells you why you have pain in childbearing. I'll be honest with you. I'm glad I'm a guy. Like if anybody asked me if I wanted to come back as something else, it would not be a woman. <laughs> just wouldn't be. I just don't want to go through all of that, right? And I don't, I don't really understand all that ladies go through and mothers go through, but I do know that it's painful and I do know that it relates to this curse. The guys were cursed in anything that they do when they're working on something. Like when they're, when they're, whether it's a garden or whether they're trying to fix their car and they just can't get something right, they are cursed in that particular regard. Ladies have the pain of childbirth that takes us back to that moment of Adam and Eve. Now, this is why this is important. This means that all of us are part of one family. One family. Your ancestors are named Adam and Eve. Well, Philip, why is this so important? Because evolution doesn't teach this. Evolution teaches that as you evolve, you get better and better and better. And between the species, as you go to the next one, there is just a little bit of difference between this species and this species and this species and this species. 
This means that currently, if you believe in evolution, there is a race that is superior to this race and this race and this race and this race. Are you tracking? So you create a system where certain people, because they are different, are better than other people that are different, which in turns causes people not to like people, which in turns becomes racism. Think about that. But the Bible says that we are all created equal. The Bible says we all go back to one family. The Bible says he created us this way and we are all equal before God. We are all valuable before God. There is nobody that's better than the other one. That is the beauty of creation. That is the beauty of the fact that God created you and me and he created all of us equal. That is why God came and died for all creatures, all, well, all nations and all people regardless of where they live on this planet. We are all equal. So childbirth, this pain, reminds us of the curse, but also reminds us that we are all a part of one family. All part of one family. It's an amazing, an amazing thing. All a part of one family. Well, what else does it remind us of? Well, <laughs> it reminds us that, that when we have childbirth, God cares for ladies enough to build into his system a time of recovery. So the lady that has the baby has a time of recovery where she can recover from having that child. And he builds it into his word. This means that men don't have to recover from having a kid. Thank you. Right? And we live in a society where the men have to recover from having a kid. No, they don't. I did not have to recover from Quinn being born or Aurora being born. Didn't have to recover from that. There are reasons. But God says that the lady needs to have time to recover. And so he built this into society so that she could back up, take care of herself, and then re-enter into society. And the man was supposed to work during that time frame. This does not mean that men do not help out at home with the kids. That is not what that means. But it does mean that there is a difference between a guy and a girl and this whole birthing thing. And so it built into scripture because God likes you and he loves me. That was kind of self-elevating, um, wasn't it? He likes you, but he loves me. Um, Built into this thing is a value for women and what they do when they have a child. It's a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful thing. So in Leviticus chapter 12, you have a difference between um, males and females, even in the birthing process. For instance, Leviticus 12 says that uh, the recovery period um, for uh, someone that has a male child is 40 days. And if you have a female child, it's 80 days. Well, why is that? Well, there are all kinds of theories about this. But what, what I think that God is communicating to us is this. There is a difference between a boy and a girl. There's a difference. And we are telling you that there is a difference. There's a recovery difference between a boy 
and a girl. There's something different about this. So mothers, here's the practical point. God chose the gender of your child. God chose that. And it's your responsibility now to parent that child in the way that God has created them. You do not get to choose your gender. You do not get to choose the day that you are born. You do not get to choose that particular path. It is God's will for you to be either male or female. And if you're a female, you parent in that direction. And if you have a male child, you parent in that direction. Okay, y'all are really quiet. And you need to take this seriously. But sometimes we think things are cute and we don't realize that they're going to turn into something different later on. For instance... My son, Quinn, and he has no memory of this, and that's okay. He'll have a memory now. <laughs> My son, Quinn, used to bring home for preschool things that are pink. And he would do this every now and then, he, and it was all girl stuff. When he was in preschool, I said, okay, I, I'll let this ride in preschool. He's young. But I told Nicole that when he's five, we're going to end this. And I know you might think that I'm just a terrible parent, but my cutoff time for pink things coming home was five years old. So he turned five, and in January, the very next week, he brought home a pink item from the toy collection. And it was a little pink thing that stood up about this tall, and it was for Barbie to put her makeup on. So it was all pink. So he brought that home. And the reason, honestly, he brought that home is because he liked pink. So he brought it home, and I said, okay, buddy, we're going to go back, and we're going to get something that is um, a toy that is suited for a boy. So we went back. He rode in the car. We went back. He took back the little pink thing, and he picked a car instead of that and brought it home. Now, you might not think that that's important, but I think it's very important. It was the moment in time that we distinctively told him that God created you to be a guy, and we're going to push you in that direction. There's a major difference between the two. And as a mother, you need to parent that way. You need to parent that way. I've told this story before, and so you, that way you know that I have permission and I'm not going to um, upset my mother on Mother, well, not my mother, Nicole on Mother's Day. Um, <laughs> when we were first married, Nicole kept saying over and over that she really, 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 really needed a vacuum cleaner. She wanted a vacuum cleaner was, was what she was saying. And she would, she would say this. We had this vacuum cleaner that obviously did not pick up stuff on the carpet. So she wanted a really nice vacuum cleaner. So it was Christmas time and I was thinking, hey, I'm going to go to the store and I'm going to purchase a very nice vacuum cleaner for Nicole, wrap it up, and I was really excited about it. So I went... I spent more money than we really had because, you know, we're all poor, I guess, when we first get married, aren't we? Most of us don't, don't have much money. So I went, I bought this vacuum cleaner. I was really excited about it. And as I was wrapping it, I was thinking, man, when she was a little girl, she had a toy vacuum cleaner and she'd go around the house, you know, and, and she, would, she, would, she would, so when I give her this and she vacuums our house, she is going to be living the dream. It's going to be living the dream. And so she unwrapped that, um, 
that vacuum cleaner, and I instantly knew it wasn't the thing that I should have gave it, <laughs> given her at Christmas time. You see, in my mind, if she had showed up with a truck that turned into a robot, I would have been ecstatic, <laughs> right? But she, she had this. So because women are different. So when, we're, when they're little, we hand girls a baby to hold because we're trying to tell them that this is where this is going. So they get the little kitchen and then get the little baby to hold and, and they start taking care of the baby. And you, you see some of this at our church. They bring their babies into church and, and they care for them. And I think that that's really cool. But on the other side, guys get trucks, right? Cars, a tool set, maybe. It, nobody in here? Am I in the right church? <laughs> tool sets, weapons, Nerf guns, Right? Nerf guns is what started and BB guns and all that kind of stuff. And, and you push those children in the direction that God has designed them to be in. There is nothing wrong with you doing that. And a good parent, a godly parent, will parent in that direction. Amen? So part of this is there is a difference between male and female. There are differences and you need to parent differently. And so... He's making you think about that. So what about all this purification thing? Well, the, the time period is so that you can actually get back into the presence of God. So you're unclean for a while. You don't touch holy things. You do worship. But there's a, um, there's a couple of sacrifices involved in a mom being able to go back to the temple and worship. Okay? So... Um, one of, the, one of the, uh, the sacrifices is a burnt offering. And you know from Leviticus chapter 1 when we were in there that that burnt offering is actually an offering of celebration. See, there's an offering of purification that takes care of her sin, but there's an offering of celebration. And the reason that there's an offering of celebration is because the God that miraculously gave you that child wants to celebrate with you the birth of that child. And so you bring this burnt offering back in and you offer this burnt offering and God is in he heaven celebrating the child that you have. Isn't that a beautiful picture? Just an absolutely beautiful picture. It is a reminder that the closest we come to being like God is when we have children. That's the closest thing that we have to being like God is when we have children. I remember in Kentucky when Aurora was first born. I was in the room, of course, and that was one of the most amazing moments I've ever had in my life. Equal to that moment is when Quinn was born. It is amazing to me that we were two and all of a sudden we were three. And I was holding her for the very first time. It is miraculous. I've seen a dog born before, right? I've seen cows born before, right? I've seen a goat born before, many goats born before. None of that compares to that baby being born. You held in your hand a gift from God, a gift from God. It's an amazing moment. You held her close. And guys, listen, I'm kind of jealous of women. Don't want to be one, but I'm jealous. 
they were able to fill that baby long before we, we did. They were able to connect with that child long before we connected with the child. And we are always nine months behind. Always nine months behind. And to hold that kid for the first time, I was like, wow, she had this inside of her. That is a miracle. That is a miracle. A miracle. So special. So once Aurora was born, we, we of course, called my mom and dad and her mom and dad. And my mom and dad came up and, and saw Aurora first. We lived in Kentucky. They came up and saw her first because, um, actually, Nicole's dad was given birth at the same time that Nicole was given birth. It was called a kidney stone, right? So he couldn't come. He had to recover. So my parents came to visit. Now, when my parents came to visit, I answered the door, and my mom and dad did not say hi to me. They did not say hi to Nicole. The first words out of their mouth was, where's Aurora, right? And from that day on, every, every time we go see them or something, their first question somewhere in the beginning of our being there is, how are the kids? How is Aurora? How is Quinn? How is Aurora? How is Quinn? Why is that? Why does that happen? I'll tell you why. Because a new chapter has begun in your life when you have a child. Every time one is born and you hold them in your arms, a new chapter in your life has begun. A brand new chapter. And whereas you were the main focus of the previous chapters, like you got married, once you have the child, that's closed and you're no longer the main character. You're a supporting cast to the new chapter that has just been opened. In fact, if you're not married in the room or you're, if you're newly married and don't have kids, I want to let you know that when you said I do to each other, that was the beginning of your final chapter. It's about to come to a close. When you have a child, it's going to be over. It's going to be a brand new chapter. Now, here's the cool thing, moms. When you hold that baby for the very first time, it is your responsibility to begin writing the chapter for that child. You begin to write their story. And it's the way that you parent, the way that you mother, that determines their future. Is the data part of it? Absolutely. But Leviticus 12 doesn't say anything about the guys here, okay? So just hang with me, all right? A mother's connection with the child is much deeper than the man will ever have. That is just a fact. And you can argue that all you want to. I really don't care. I know it to be true. I do not have the connection with Aurora and Quinn, though I love them dearly. And if you do anything to them, I'm going to take you out. I do not have the deep connection that my wife has with them. There's something special about a mom. There's something special about a connection with a kid. And mothers in this room have the ability to write a chapter for their kid to take them to a different place. We all have different backgrounds. And some of us have rough backgrounds and some of us have great backgrounds. And when we have that child, our goal should be this. I want to make life better for them so that they have a better life and are better people than I am. That is what you do. And it doesn't matter if, if your life was horrible in the past or if it was great in the past. Your job as a mother is to make this person, this little person that's been given to you by God and in your care to write their story in such a way that they become a better person than you. 
because you are now a supporting cast. And God wants you to do that. So how are you doing in writing your child's or your children's chapters? How are you doing? How are you doing with that? How are you writing that chapter? Well, how are you treating your husband? Because the way that you treat your husband is writing a chapter for your child right now. But Philip, you do, you do not know my husband. You do not know what happens when he's not here at church. You do not know what he does over here and how it's very difficult to live with this guy. Listen, ladies, God the Father has given you grace, mercy, love, peace, and patience. Did you deserve it? No. Does he deserve it? You know, I, I can't make that call, but if you're saying he doesn't, you show him love, grace, mercy, peace, and patience. That's what you do. In fact, Scripture tells you that you have the power to lead him to the Lord in that sweet spirit that you can have. Do you allow yourself to be run over by him? Absolutely not. But you give him grace, you give him mercy, you give him peace. That is what you're supposed to do. And when you do that for your husband, for their father, when you do that, it teaches and writes a chapter for that child to say, hey, my mom was always a great example on how to treat people, and that is the way I need to live. Is everybody tracking? You have that power. You have that influence. I can tell you right now that even if I'm right, even if my, I'm right, my children will agree with their mother. Yes. Thank you. They will agree with their mother. And if they do disagree, it must be something that they just can't live with. You know what I'm saying? Because you don't want to make mom unhappy. I'm not saying that you're bad. I'm just saying you just don't want to do that. There's something inside of you that don't, you don't want to make them cry. You don't, do not want to make them suffer. You, you do not want them to be sad. Are you tracking? And so they will agree with you. So you need to live accordingly. You have an amazing amount of influence. This means that if all your children hear from your lips is complaint, 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 complaint about other people in other situations, guess what you are writing in their story in their chapter? They are going to grow up and more than likely complain just like you have complained. Watch what you say. Watch how you treat your husband. And watch how you treat them. The way that people learn parenting is from their parents. Is there stuff that we realize that our parents did wrong and then we try not to do that? Absolutely, absolutely. But the way you parent is the way they're going to parent their kids. My parents parented differently than Nicole's parents. Nicole parent, and Nicole's parents were more, well, they're not liberal, but they were loose with them. Not loose in the sense of morals, but they were allowed to experience more things in life than I was allowed to experience. 
They went on more trips. They went on more excursions. They, they basically got a lot of stuff that they desired. And her dad and her mom made sure that that happened, and they had a, just a fun, really, um, life growing up. It's not that they were not biblical. They were biblical. I'm not saying that, but they were a lot of fun. My parents were more strict. We stayed at home. Part of it had to do with we didn't have a lot of money. So we stayed home, and we went camping, and then we came back home, and my parents did a great job with all of that. We had two different styles of parenting. I say that to say this. When I had my children, guess who I parented like? My parents. My parents who never went anywhere but the beach on the 4th of July. Guess how she parents, like her parents, that at a whim would go to the mountains, to the beach, to the lake, to the pool, to all these fun things. In a whim would do that. And so in our house, Nicole is the fun person that takes us on trips. I'm the one that just wants to stay at home and save the money, right? That is how that works. And so ladies, listen, how you parent your children is how they're going to parent theirs. But Philip, I'm a grandparent now, and they are not parenting like I parented. Oh, yes, they are. There might be some differences that you see, but they're parenting like you parented. There's no way they can't be. They may be a little bit looser with it, right? But they are still on that same track because everything we learned about parenting, we first learned from our mothers and our fathers, Right? So if you're writing their chapter, you need to make sure that you're focused on this and you're writing it in such a way that you're setting them for success in the future. That you're looking at this and you're saying, hey, how can I make them better and have a better life than what I had? How can I do that? So how you treat, how you treat them, how you treat your husband. Um, I almost hate to say this, but, but I have to say it. If you spend your time complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining and complaining about your husband, you are not doing your job. If you're constantly picking at him and constantly figuring out what he's doing wrong and you're constantly putting a vo voice to that, you are not doing your job. You can't be doing your job. You're too focused on what you don't like about him to be focused on how you can make this little life better in the future. right? Yeah. So quit doing that. Focus on them. Be the mother that you're created to be. Push them in the direction that God wants them to go. Teach them the scriptures. Teach them good morals. Teach them good values. And you will be proud of your children when they leave home. You will be proud of them. Of course, you know, I don't know of a mother that isn't proud. Not many of them anyway. There's very few of them. It's somewhere deep in her soul, she's proud. Now, she might give them a hard time, but you talk against them, she's coming after you. Right? That's what happens. So you, you invest and you spend the time that you need to spend. Here's the final thought. Moms, your child does not need a best friend. They need a mother. They do not need a best friend they need a mother. You need to quit dressing like them. You 
You just got to quit dressing like them. I know you shop at Walmart, but quit dressing like them. You, do you know what I'm saying? You, you've got to dress your, your age. Do, do you know what I mean? They don't think you're cool anyway. Okay? Your children do not think you're cool. Other children might think you're cool, but they don't think you're cool. So just dress your age and dress appropriately. If you're in your 40s, dress in your 40s. If you're in your 50s, dress in your 50s. But there are some things that a 40-year-old woman should not wear. And if you think this through, there's some things that a 40-year-old man should not wear either. Fair enough? So, so be their mom. They need you to be their mom, not their best friend. Now, does this mean that you don't have fun with them? Like, yeah, of course you have fun with them. Does this mean that you don't spend time with them and try to relate to them? Of course you're going to try to relate to them. Of course you're going to sit down and try to be interested in the same, thing, same things that they're interested in. But don't become their best friend because if you become their best friend, you cannot give them guidance. You lose the ability to give them guidance. Everybody needs a mother that is a moral center in their life. And they know that when they go over here and they're doing something, that mom will not be happy if I do this. And the power of that thought, and you know this if you think about it, is, is greater than any other power in the world. You know that you're living incorrectly and your mother does not approve and she's right. And she's not moving into your camp to be your best friend to say it's okay. She's over here saying, hey, I love you. I want to... You know, you're my son, you're my daughter, I love you, but I cannot do that. That is wrong. They need a mother. They need a mother that speaks her mind in a gracious way. They need a mother who, who cares, a mother who calls, a mother who, who is there for them. They do not need a mother that enables their bad behavior. So you help them write that chapter in such a way. And if they go astray, you're part of that chapter that is saying there's a better way to live. You need to be pushed. I want you to be more in line with Jesus. Does this make sense? So Leviticus chapter 12, because you're reconnecting with God and his presence means that you're reconnecting your children with the presence of God. So circumcision was basically a dedication to say that you are going to raise that male child according to scriptures. And when you brought the female child in and gave that particular offering, what you were saying to God is you are going to raise that child according to the scriptures and do the best you could. You are going to be the moral center in their life. And that is what each mother in this room needs to be for their child. Amen? Leviticus chapter 12, who knew, right? Who knew? What a valuable chapter in the Bible. What a valuable chapter. What a, value, what a, what a chapter that says that women are important, as if we didn't know that, right? Women are important, and what you do as a mother is important. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the stage you've given us. And um, I, pray, I pray for the mothers in this room. I pray for the mothers that have older children 
and they look at those children and they're saddened by some of the things that they are doing and they struggle with that. So here's what I pray for them. I pray that today as they pray for their children again, because I'm sure that they're doing this constantly, that you not only hear their prayers, which we know you already do, but you answer those prayers. And that you do it in such a way that they see where that child is coming back to you. And I pray, Father, that you put roadblock after roadblock after roadblock in front of those children so that they come back not only to their family, but also to you and will follow you with all their heart and all their mind and all their soul. I pray for the mothers in this room that have younger kids, whether they're preschoolers or... or um, kindergarten, fifth grade age, or middle schoolers, or high schoolers, I pray, Father, for them that you give them the wisdom that they need to write their story in such a way where they create children that push children towards following you with all their heart. I pray you give them the wisdom and the understanding of how to do that. I pray for any mother in this room that might not be living correctly, that today that she will choose to live differently. And whatever you convicted her of, so that she can change, so that she can better write the chapter for the children that are around her. Father, I pray for each lady in here that they feel valued. They leave here knowing that you love them and that you trust them enough to give them a gift that has far more value than anything else we can possess in this world. And that is the value of having offspring. Thank you for trusting us with them. Sometimes we're not sure if you should have. But thank you for that truth and help us to do the best job that we can in guiding their path. We ask all these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.